take the car and park because we're going to be parked there for a little while. And the problem was, was there was another individual that somebody forgot to tell that he's supposed to be paying attention to the traffic ahead of him rather than slamming into the back of them. And so uh, we were driving a Caprice Classic, uh, and he, uh, he pushed us several feet down the road. I'm not sure how far. Uh, he realigned the trunk by, I don't know, about this far. Uh, so he hit us. The whole trunk was shifted. Uh, and the car was dented all the way from the trunk up through the driver's side door. So I'm not really sure, you know, it all happened so fast. I'm not sure if he, you know, hit us and pushed us and hit us again, or I, I'm not sure how all that worked, but it was dented all the way up through the driver's side door. And uh, we were a bit shaken at the time, but we walked away and we drove away. Now, every time we hit a, a dip in the road or a bump in the road, we could hear, because the... Uh, the tire was rubbing against the frame anytime the car bounced. I'm not saying it was safe to drive away. I'm just saying we drove away. And uh, we did have the wisdom to stop at a gas station to see if there was anything we could do to just kind of get it fixed up until we could get home. And uh, the guy is uh, at the gas station. He's looking out the window at the car. And I said, you know, the tire is rubbing the frame. Is there anything we could do for this? And he, he looks out the window. And he says, well, I could tell you what your problem is. This might go to your Kentucky roots car. <laughs> I can tell you what your problem is. He said, your tires are too big for your frame. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, needless to say, we didn't have him do any work on the car, right? <laughs> we, we just ended up driving it home, and we did, uh, we did make it home. Uh, you know, it was probably not the wisest thing to do, but we drove it home, and they uh, ended up totaling out the, the car, as you might anticipate. And... Uh, you know, the uh, the car incidentally belonged to Dave. I was driving Dave's car at the time, and Dave suddenly loved this car more than anything. You know, uh, before that, it was the, the driver's side door handle kept breaking, and the, it burned oil like you wouldn't believe, right? And it was this thing and that thing. Before the accident, after the accident, I was like, I love that car. I love it. Now, incidentally, he did admit that I had a little Toyota Tercel, and he's like, but I'm thankful you were driving my car, because who knows if we were in the little Toyota. But, you know, life went on as normal for the next couple of days. And then I woke up in so much pain that I could hardly walk. And that was the summer that I was introduced to a chiropractor. And I started at five days a week, then four, then three, then two, then one. Then finally, I, I stopped going. And I was happy, right? I was doing well. The chiropractor was happy. Treatment was no longer needed. You know, never had to have surgery or anything like that. And all the bills were submitted to the other man's insurance as he was clearly at fault. Uh, and then his insurance reached out to me and said, how would you like to settle for $2,000? Now, honestly, I was pretty excited at this point because I, you know, I expected them to pay the uh, the bills for the doctor, and I expected them to pay the bills for the the bill for the car, right? But I, I really didn't anticipate extra. And I don't know about the rest of you, but when I was a college kid, two thousand dollars seemed like a lot of money at the time, as opposed to now when it's you know basically a trip to the grocery store <laughs> or the gas station, right? Yeah. That might be slightly exaggerated, but only slightly. Uh, and so I was excited. It's like, wow, $2,000. And now, you know, I was quick to sign and stuff. And then uh, I was excited until I tried to get my own health insurance after that point. Because every insurance I looked at, they wanted to put a permanent rider on my back. 
Evidently, they didn't want to take a chance on me. I guess they didn't trust the chiropractic care, right? They didn't want to take a chance. They were willing to give me coverage, but only with conditions applied. We're not going to touch your back. Now, at that point, potential back problems were a risk they weren't willing to take, and it was a cost they were unwilling to pay because, let's face it, when it comes to insurance, they really don't care about you. All they care about is their bottom line. Are we going to make money off of you, right? Now, our text today kind of introduces us to three would-be disciples, and the purpose of the illustration is uh, they wanted to put writers on their discipleship, right? Uh, we'll follow you, but under these conditions. These are the conditions we're laying out. These are the writers that, you know, we're not so sure about. And so uh, we'll follow you unless the risk is too high or unless the cost is too great or until it becomes too much and we want to go back to how things were before. So, you know, we're coming with discipleship, but under these conditions, right? We're not sure we want to take too much of a chance. And so we're going to follow, but at a distance. And so Jesus addresses this through foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, right? That's a nice little statement. Now, the second one might leave us a little bit scratching our head. Uh, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You might read that and be like, ouch, that's kind of uh, hurtful, Jesus. Uh, and the last one, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So obviously, as we kind of dive into this passage today, we need to explore what's going on because it may not be all obvious to us up front, right? Because we think about our culture and how we do things instead of thinking about how are things practiced in their culture. So we're going we're gonna to dig into those responses just a little bit. But first, we need to do uh, just a little bit of housekeeping with harmonization, right? Because we're back to a passage with parallel passage. And so there's a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. Now, Matthew includes this passage at the start in the first year of Jesus' ministry. Luke places it here in the third. And Luke adds an, a scenario that's not in, in Matthew uh, with the third scenario. Now, we're following Mark Moore's chronological order, and Mark Moore uh, will argue that uh, uh, Matt, Matthew's account is topological, not chronological, right? So as you think about the Gospels, some things are chronological, some things are there uh, topically. So he argues that Mar Matthew's case is topical and Luke's is the proper chronology, so that's why we're dealing with it here. And to just kind of set the stage, uh, Jesus has turned toward Jerusalem in verse 51 from Luke's account. On the way there, he's rejected in Samaria. That's verses 52 through 56. And once he's there, he's rejected by the Jews. Now, that's John 7 through 9, which, uh, which uh, actually 7 through 9 and the first part of chapter 10, which is what we've dealt with the last several weeks, right? Because we're thinking about chronology, right? And so not all the accounts have all the accounts. Uh, so we have all this rejection that's been going on with Jesus in Samaria and in Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, we're seeing, uh, you might have noticed the last few weeks, right? And the people were divided over him and the people were divided over him and the people were divided over him so it's that scenario that sets the stage for there's going to be a cost to following me so mark moore writes and i quote uh, anyone who wishes to follow jesus had better not waver he is an itinerant preacher in judea a place particularly bitter towards him right now it does seem strange that a scribe now, that's a detail that Matthew gives us, but not Luke. 
would want to follow Jesus in such a hostile environment. But opinions were mixed about this phenomenal teacher. That's John 10, 21, which was our last week's text. And this scribe's wavering faith betrays his struggle. So as we think about Jesus at this point, there are those who love him, and there are many who hate him. Now, the one thing that's becoming crystal clear is you can love him, you can hate him, but you can't be neutral toward him. And today's encounters provide us not only with three would-be followers, but also a composite picture of discipleship. Uh, Now, earlier in Luke uh, 9.23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, that's kind of just an abstract statement about discipleship. Well, that abstract statement is going to be illustrated in our text today through real-life context with real-life people who are struggling with, do we take up our cross daily and deny ourselves and follow him? Because following Jesus involves more than learning from him. It also includes living for him. And living for him comes with a cost. So verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now Matthew's account tells us that this someone is actually a scribe. Now Luke just uses the generic someone because he probably wants this to be universally applied to anyone who wants to follow. Uh, But Mark Moore describes this first scene as the outsider who wants in. Sure, there's opposition to Jesus. But you know this Jesus just healed the eyes of a man born blind. So there's opposition to Jesus, and I understand that. But boy, he just healed the eyes of a man born blind. I'd like to learn from him. And we have the picture of a student who's approaching a rabbi, right? As Matthew puts it in his account, and a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So we have a scribe declaring to Jesus that he would like to follow him in order to learn from him, right? Teacher, I want to learn from you. Now, scribes were noted for their ability to read and write, uh, you know, something that wasn't as common in their day as it is ours, right? Uh, And they were employed in a variety of services, as you think about the day and age, right? So they could be employed for religious, political, judicial, economical, social, uh, including uh, they would be uh, also included in some of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is typically where we see them associated in the New Testament, right? So as we come across them in the New Testament, we usually have them coupled with the Pharisees or the Sadducees, but but their role went beyond that. But rather than get all excited... You know, if somebody says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up and network. I love your teaching. I want to get connected. I want to be there. I want to learn all I can. I'd be like, this is cool, right? And I'd get excited about that. But rather than get all excited, Jesus gives a rather odd response. Verse 58, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So instead of encouraging him, right, Jesus says, count the cost. Count the cost. Because being a disciple is going to take more than just learning from me. It's going to mean living for me. And there's going to be consequences to living for me because not everyone likes me. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It speaks of his humiliation, and ultimately it speaks of his rejection. I don't know if you've ever rushed into a commitment without really thinking through what the commitment will cost you. You ever had that experience? Like, jump into a commitment, but like, boy, I might, have, I might have bit off more than I can chew 
right? I might, have, I might have been a little bit too rash. Jesus is saying, don't be rash. He says, here's the reality. I'd love for you to follow me, but I'm not going to give you, you know, a false fairy tale of what it's going to follow. You know, Jesus never preached a health, wealth gospel. He never said, follow me and your, your finances are going to go through the roof. Follow me and just have enough faith and your health will be picture perfect, right? He said, if you're going to follow me, foxes, you know, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, t uh, Pastor Tim provides this illustration and I quote, though skeptical of his teenage son's newfound determination to build bulging muscles, one father followed his teenager to the store's weightlifting department where they admired a set of weights. Please, Dad, pleaded the teen. I promise I'll use them every day. I don't know, Michael. It's really a commitment on your part. The father said, uh, Please, Dad, they're not cheap either, the father said. I'll use them, Dad, I promise. You'll see. Finally went over, the father paid for the equipment and headed for the door. After a few steps, he heard a son behind him say, What? You mean I have to carry them to the car? <laughs> Jesus is telling this scribe, he says, You know, you better be ready for some heavy lifting. Because following me is going to be hard. There's going to be commitment. There's going to be cost. And before you jump into this, you need to know up front there's going to be cost. Now, if you think about a scribe, a scribe would have been given some comforts and conveniences and privileges not shared by all. And Jesus is challenging him. He's saying, are you prepared to follow? Are you willing to do what it takes? Are you willing to give up some of those comforts, some of those privileges, some of those conveniences that you've always enjoyed because that's what will happen if you follow me? Foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, it's one thing to learn, to be able to recite doctrines and argue the finer nuances of theology, to increase one's knowledge and learning, but he's saying, are you willing to pay the cost in your living to give up those comforts and those conveniences? Jesus was rejected in Samaria, he was rejected in Jerusalem. The people are deeply divided over him. The scribe comes and says, I want to follow. And Jesus says, will you follow the Son of Man if that means the rejection of men? Are you willing to pay the cost? Because commitment is not found in a promise. Dad, I'll do it. I'll use them every day. Right? Commitment is found in a promise kept. So Jesus says, know what you're signing up for. Because following means learning from and living for, which translates to uh, whenever he leads, we follow. Uh, now, Zig Ziglar shares uh, this account. He says, my brother, the late Judge Ziglar, loved to tell the story of the fellow who went next door to borrow his neighbor's lawnmower. The neighbor explained that he could not let him use the mower because all the flights had been canceled from New York to Los Angeles. The borrower asked him what canceled flights from New York to Los Angeles had anything to do with borrowing his lawnmower. And the guy said, it doesn't have anything to do with it. But if I don't want to let you use my lawnmower, then one excuse is as good as another. 
Think about all the excuses we have. And we just say, one excuse is as good as another. When Jesus says to follow me, do we go whenever he leads? You know, I don't know if you've recognized this or not, but you know, it seems to me that there's always something, isn't there? There's always something going on. There's always a reason that, well, maybe I don't want to do this now or, you know, I have to tend to this or I have to take care of that or this thing is happening in life. You know, Jesus, it's just not a good time. I'll get to it later. One excuse is as good as another if it's not really what we want to do, isn't it? Isn't it funny how we always make time for what we want to do? We always make time for what we want to do, and yet oftentimes we find one excuse after another to not follow. Uh, God's leading doesn't always come at my convenience. Isn't that a shame? And how often does our calendar just kind of crowd out God because, you know, we're busy with life, and life comes with all sorts of challenges. You know, much of life is not about choosing good over bad. That's easy, isn't it? It's about choosing the best over the good. It's about choosing one priority over another priority. And if the first case is an outsider who wants in, then more suggests that perhaps what we have here is an insider who temporarily wants out. So verses 59 and 60 says, To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, Luke says another, and Matthew says another of, his, of, of the disciples. So in which case, we have not so much an unwillingness to follow, uh, but a requested delay, right? So you might think of it of, uh, and, and maybe you've experienced this with some people. Maybe, maybe this was true of you at one point. Once I've gotten myself settled in, then I'll get serious about God. After I've reached my goals, started my family, made so much money, got my promotion, you know, uh, whatever and what have you, rather than whenever he leads. Whenever he leads, whether it's convenient or whether it's inconvenient to what my plans may be, whenever he leads, I'll follow. Now, most, views, uh, uh, most view Jesus' cryptic saying, leave the dead to bury their own dead as leave the spiritually dead to bury the physical de physically dead. But basically, Jesus is saying, you know, there's a duty to me that goes beyond all other duties, and that includes the family. Now, if you think this was hard to hear at their day, right, leave the dead to bury their own dead, then uh, it was probably even harder in Jesus' own day. Uh, Trites writes, and I quote, uh, the duty of burial took precedence over the study of the law, the temple service, the killing of the Passover sacrifice, the observance of circumcision, and the reading of Megillah, which was a scroll containing a Jewish book. But the demands of the kingdom were more urgent still. So burial was something that was treated with the utmost respect. Even the burial of strangers was seen as uh, highly meritorious in their culture. So how much more would be the burying of one's father? Right? So we need to ask ourselves the question of what's going on behind the text that might help us understand the context. Uh, now, uh, you know, if you read through different scholars and commentaries, you might get an idea here and an idea there. And, and basically, I, I ran across three different options that they offer for Jesus' response to this man. So I'm going to give you the three different options. 
which basically end up saying about the same thing ultimately in terms of the principle, but, but they have a different way of approaching it. So the most widely held option recognizes that funerals were typically held on the day of death, right? So they got to business a little bit quicker than we do today, right? Funerals were held on the day of death, meaning that if his father had died, he's not likely to be talking and hanging out with Jesus. He's already tending to burial rites. In other words, his father's still alive. In essence, what he's asking is, you know what, Jesus? Uh, I've got some family obligations. You know, I, I got things to tend to at home. Uh, let me take care of that. And when my dad dies and I have him buried, then I'll come follow you. And that's the wi most widely held uh, viewpoint here is that uh, he's, he's basically saying, Jesus, I'll come follow you after my dad dies, whenever that may be. Whether that be, you know, tomorrow or next week or next month or a year from now or two years from now or, you know, three years from now, right? It's, it's like a, an indefinite delay. Jesus, as soon as I have this taken care of, right, as soon as I have my family started, as soon as I have my promotion, as soon as I make such and such dollars, as soon as I have my bucket list, then I'll come and follow you. Jesus says, it don't work that way. Discipleship doesn't come with a delay. Either you're going to follow or you're not going to follow, right? Now, the second option, and some scholars will say, well, there's nothing in the text that indicates the father has not died, right? So they kind of step away from that cultural context. And, and in this particular option, Jesus would be saying, he's a greater authority than Moses, and the law, because the law demanded that they be honoring their parents and burial, right? So Jesus is claiming a greater authority, which he certainly does in other passages of Scripture as well. And in this case, he would be saying the message of the kingdom cannot wait, right? There's a, and there was a critical time urgency to Jesus in his ministry, right? Because we're coming up to the cross. Now, it's going to take us uh, another year to get there. <laughs> going through the chronological life of Christ, right? But, but we're getting close in, in terms of where the text is at, okay? So there's an urgency to proclaiming the kingdom, and Jesus is saying, you know, the message of the kingdom can't wait because we're coming up to a, a critical point. Now, there's a third option that's presented by, uh, that I read in Mangum, and he says the man objects that he has to go and bury his father first, and the burial in first century Palestinian Judaism was not a quick process. Uh, and one of the practices could be that the body remained in the tomb for one year until the flesh decayed, and then the bones would be collected and placed in an osary and then buried, uh, where they can be buried together with family and stuff. And so he's, once again, we see a postponing of obedience for a considerable time. Now, whichever option you choose, right, the point is the same, because the text doesn't give us all those details, right? All we know is what the text gives us. These are just options that might be there. Following Jesus means that whenever, however inconvenient it may be, whatever other things we may want to do, whenever he leads, we follow. Because we're committed to the person and consequently committed to the work of Jesus. And that commitment of discipleship is expressed not only through talent and not only through treasure, but it's also commit, uh, expressed through time. One of the most precious commodities we have is time, isn't it? Whenever he leads, we follow. 
Now, rest assured, there's your stewardship sermon for the year, right? Time, talent, treasure. Whew, got that one off the table. Living for him is not just about whenever he leads, though. It's not just about time, is it? It's also about when, wherever he leads, we go. Verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you. Lord, but first let me say farewell to those who are at my home. Now, Jesus has just taught that allegiance to him must be above even allegiance to family. Now, most, if not all of us, are blessed. And that for us, we don't have to choose between family and Jesus. But for many, to choose Jesus was to be disowned by their family. You know, later we're going to see where Jesus says, you know, if you're going to follow me, you have to hate father and mother. And we need to understand that that language is not emotional, right? That language is choice. Because for many of them, to choose Jesus was to be disowned by their family, right? People were divided over him. And sometimes people had to make a choice. Uh, one of the translators that we had uh, when I was on the Nepal mission trip uh, in 2015, uh, one of the translators that we had, uh, she accepted Jesus when she was 14 years old. And I believe she was 21 at the time she was working with our group and, and, and with the gospel and stuff. But she was 14 when she accepted Jesus. And how did her parents respond to that? Her dad kicked her out. And he said, if you ever come back, I will kill you. That is harsh, but that is the reality for some Christians in some part of the world, right? To choose Jesus is to be disowned or even killed by family. Jesus is saying, you know, if you really understand who I am, and if you're really going to follow me, you need to understand that I am the first priority because of who I am. And sometimes that means even family. Now, like I said, most of us are blessed, you know. For most of us, we're like, there's no greater joy than to know our children are walking with the Lord. But that is not the case in all cultures. And it certainly wasn't the case in first century, uh, with the first century Jews. Now, what's surprising with this particular uh, uh, individual is that his request actually echoes Elijah's call to Elisha. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, 1 Kings 19 Elijah comes to Elisha, Elisha's plowing with his oxen, and he asks if he could go back and kiss his mother and, and his father, and he's given permission. And Edwards writes, and I quote, but as the demands of Jesus are more exacting than those of Moses and the Torah, so too they are more stringent than those of Elijah. Discipleship to Elijah is not a valid precedent for discipleship to the Son of Man. Elisha may turn back from the plow to settle affairs at home before following Elijah, but a disciple cannot turn back from the plow and follow Jesus at a more convenient time. He's saying the business of the kingdom of God that's present in Jesus is more urgent than even that of Elijah's business as a great prophet from the Old Testament. Now, if you read between the lines a little bit, what's going on that you know, what's the big deal about saying bye to mom and dad? So reading between the lines a little bit, 
Is his farewell as much about saying goodbye, or is his farewell about, I'm a little bit hesitant to leave my old life behind? I'm a little bit hesitant about what this might mean for me. You know, any of you know anyone who put off coming to Jesus because he's like, you know, you know I, kind of, I kind of believe this Jesus stuff. He kind of really makes all sense to me. But if I follow Jesus, it means I have to give up X, Y, or Z. If I really embrace him, then it means I need to change, that I can't keep doing this, that, or the other thing. And I'm not so sure I want to change. I want to, but I don't want to. I want to, but I don't want to. You know, Jesus has the ability to detect any inner hesitation to decisive commitment. And Bach writes, uh, the premise, again, is concern for family. Nevertheless, Jesus interprets the request as a desire to hang on to the old life. This, too, is emphatically rejected with a warning that turning back from the task is showing oneself unworthy of discipleship. I want to follow, but... I don't want to leave the old life behind. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, that seems a little bit far-fetched. I mean, all the guy really says is, can I go say farewell? Isn't it a little far-fetched to say that he is hesitating, hesitating that he wants to hang on to the old life, that, he, uh, that he's not so sure about this thing? Well, let's look at Jesus' response to ask how Jesus is reading him. Because Jesus is a little bit better at reading hearts and motivations and intentions than, than we are. So verse 62, we kind of get a clue to how Jesus is reading him. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Isn't that an interesting response to farewell? Have you ever tried to walk or in this case uh, plow a straight line while looking back? It probably don't go too well, does it? Instead of making a straight row, you're all over the place, right? And Jesus is going to say, you know, discipleship, you can't really have divided interest. If you keep trying to hold on to the old life, you're going to continually battle between the old and the new. Maybe you've known some Christians who really struggled because, you know, as much as they wanted to follow Jesus, there were some aspects of the old life they didn't want to let go of. And they kept looking back, and they kept looking back. And life was a continual struggle and a continual struggle because there was a hesitancy to truly being all in for Jesus. Discipleship has a, a singular focus, and that is Jesus. And the goal is to learn from him in order to live for him as we follow whenever and as we follow wherever he leads. Now, this is going to look different from one person to another person because he works in us and through us in different ways. Uh, but in a nutshell, uh, we cannot call Jesus Lord while we're putting limits on his lordship. And Jesus says, no one who looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, now when he says uh, uh, fit for the kingdom of God, don't take that as fit in the sense of moral or spiritual fitness because let's be real, none of us are. Right? None of us are you know, fit on our own. But he's looking at the practical focus here, and the focus is the context of discipleship, not salvation. So what he's saying is, you know, being distracted impacts how effectively or not you follow. If you keep looking back, it's going to sabotage your discipleship. If you keep wanting to hang on to the old life, it's going to prevent you from walking in the fullness of the new life. Right? It's going to impact your effectiveness for him. Uh, so... 
what we see is we're looking at these three would-be disciples as Jesus is basically saying, I have to be first. He will not accept second place to anyone or anything. Right? Because if we're truly following Jesus, it means he is our top priority. Now, what that looks like in each of our lives is going to be different because Jesus is going to lead Anne differently than he leads Dan. Right? He's going to call some into vocational ministry. He's going to lead others into, you know, uh, being a Christian in the secular workplace or in retirement or whatever the case may be, right? He's going to lead us differently. The question is, is are we going to follow whenever and wherever he leads? So are you learning from him? Are you living for him whenever, wherever he leads? You know, there are no writers. Oh, maybe I'm a step ahead of myself. There are no writers when it comes to following Jesus. There are no conditions for discipleship. He is Lord of all, or not Lord at all, when it comes to your life, isn't he? Will you answer his call when he comes and says, follow me, wherever and whenever that may be? Amen. Uh, in your bulletins, you have a communication card, and we'll uh, give you a, a moment to think about how God might be speaking to your heart, and maybe how God is challenging you in your own life of discipleship. Uh, you know, and, and calling you to, to reflect and, uh, and evaluate on that. As we uh, uh, prepare ourselves for a uh, call to communion and stewardship, you know, as we come to the Lord's table, uh, we are reminded that Jesus was indeed uh, humiliated and he was rejected. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Only his rejection as it turns out, was for our salvation. And so we have a message that's greater than any other message, a message that warrants saying, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Because there's nothing more important than what Jesus has done for us in order that we might enter into the kingdom for eternity. Therefore, as we come to this table and we remember what Jesus has done for us, May we not put our hand to the plow and look back, uh, but may we fix our eyes upon him and follow whenever and wherever he leads, that we might learn from him and live for him as those who have truly decided to follow him. And so I want to remind you that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. O glorious Lord, as we come to this table, we recognize the, the magnitude, the wonder of the gift that you have given to us through the life and death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And as we come to this table, may we just pause for a moment to examine our response to him and to ask uh, how well we're following. Are we following closely? Are we following at a distance? Is there something in our life that uh, we know that you've called us or asked us to do and we've been delaying it and putting it off because there's so many other things that are taking priority? Lord, as we come to this table, we just pray that you would reveal to us uh, whatever it is that you would have us to learn, that we might live accordingly in response to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
we kind of have a small crew again today, so we'll just uh, we'll make one line to, to come up, and uh, we'll rush through this pretty quickly, I think. Up on the cruel tree of Calvary Was there my precious Savior supposed to be doing that I'm not. <laughs> Closing song. Okay. Uh, I thought this would be a good one right here. It's a, a, a little more upbeat than what we've been doing. Yeah. And it, uh, if you want to stand up, let's all get up and we'll just sing this song pretty quick. Okay, are you ready? 
Hallelujah, I'm ready. I can hear the voice just singing soft and low. Hallelujah, I'm ready. Hallelujah, I'm ready to go. In the darkness at night, not a star was in sight on a highway that leads down below. But Jesus came in and he saved my soul from sin. Hallelujah, I'm ready to go. Hallelujah, I'm ready. I can hear the voices singing soft and low. Hallelujah, I'm ready. Hallelujah, I'm ready to go. Now, sinner, don't wait before it's too late. He's a wonderful Savior, you know. Well, I fell on my knees and he answered my pleas. Hallelujah, I'm ready to go. Hallelujah, I'm ready. I can hear the voices singing soft and low. Hallelujah, I'm ready. Hallelujah, I'm ready to go. Hallelujah, I'm ready to go. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hallelujah, I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go when Jesus says, follow me? You bet. To go wherever he leads and whenever he leads. Are you, are you ready and will you follow? Amen. Amen.